0: Greetings, Trinity family. Hope that you and your families are well, encouraged by your family worship this morning. Hope that you've read Exodus chapter 3. We're going to zero in on verses 13 and 14 to begin our time together, but we're going to consider all of Exodus 3. So let's hear God's word. God, we thank you for your word, we thank you for this chapter, we thank you for what it displays to us about you. God, I pray that our hearts would be greatly encouraged, encouraged by your word, encouraged by your character, encouraged by you. So do that good work in us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. The Protestant Reformation of the 1500s brought about a rediscovery, a recovery of the gospel. The gospel was covered under the dust of the dark ages of a works righteous salvation. That is, you perform in such a way in order to be saved. This Reformation was good. We are indebted to it. And the Reformation of the 1500s was based in Europe, and it impacted church, art, politics, and culture of the leading European cities and nations, and then would continue to do so in the New World as Europe expanded out. But what also expanded out often on the same ships and boats, was slavery. Our nation has an ugly, horrific beginning and history with slavery. And this history has led to more atrocities. And these atrocities have morphed and changed over time, and continue to impact our culture. The culture of our day see the effects of our history painfully, with great hurt and confusion, even at this hour. For most of our white brothers and sisters in the faith, the chief theological framework is mainly shaped by Paul's letter to the Romans. The the truths that were rediscovered in birth out of the reformation in Europe. For many of our black brothers and sisters in the faith, the chief theological framework is mainly shaped by Exodus. Now, I don't intend to get into the weeds and the thick grass of those various frameworks, but I do want us to think carefully as we work through this book of the Bible. My intention is to help us recognize the ways in which this book has been a great deal of encouragement to many of our brothers and sisters in the faith. Many weeks ago, we settled on Exodus, for our next series after Colossians. And here we are. So much has happened in our day since we decided to go to Exodus. And here we are, even now, in the part of Exodus where the people are crying out, crying out for help, crying out for rescue. And here we are now, with a God who sees and hears and knows. It shouldn't be lost on us. This isn't an accident. Perhaps this series will be especially helpful for our white brothers and sisters to wrestle with things in their own hearts. And perhaps this series will be especially helpful to our black brothers and sisters in the faith to not give in to discouragement. And perhaps this series will be helpful for all of us in that central to Exodus, as well as central to Romans, and central to the whole of the Bible is God's purpose. God who promises his presence and power to be with his people to fulfill his purposes. Now make no mistake, in the chapter we are considering today, God is on display. He is on display in this chapter. He is front and center in his presence and his speech the seeming distance and silence is no more it's broken god is here now god is speaking and god is on the move we find here in our chapter chapter 3 of exodus Yahweh is on display. More on that word and name in a moment. But we see God on display. And there are five ways I want us to look at that. And I promise to move through those appropriately. We will not be here until mid afternoon. But God is on display. On display in his presence, on display in his purpose. He is on display in his promise, he is on display in his power, and he is on display for his people. And this is profound. This chapter is profound for Exodus. It's profound for our understanding of the whole of the Old Testament. It's profound for our understanding of the whole of the Bible, It's profound for our understanding of all of history. Therefore, it is profoundly relevant for our day right now. So let's focus our heads and our hearts on the God who is on display. And let's start with this. He is on display in his presence. This chapter has the very infamous burning bush. A bush bush that is on fire, but not consumed. It's burning, but not burning. It is incredible. It It is consumed, but not consumed. It's in flames, but not burning to ash. This is not normal. It's not natural. It is something miraculous happening. Theologians call this a theophany. A fun word, theophany. It is a visible manifestation of God, taken from the words theo, which means God, and phaino, which means appear. These moments are throughout the Old Testament. And they are visible manifestations of God, and they are supernatural phenomena that display and convey God's presence with his person or his people. This is significant for us because God is appearing with and to his people. Now we know in the Old Testament he doesn't do that fully and finally, but in a way it is foreshadowing when he does do that fully and finally. And these theophanies, these supernatural miracles that display the presence of God are also very symbolic. They carry with them important meanings, even in the manner in which God is displaying himself in his presence. So for our purposes here, we see a fire, a bush on fire. Fire is an especially important feature of this particular theophany. It is highly symbolic. And fire represents God's holiness. And therefore, because it represents God's holiness, both judgment and purification come with fire. You see, God is holy. Holy. He is set apart from everything else, everywhere, ever, There's nothing like God. There is no one like God. God is the most unique and set apart. There's no blemish, no wrong, no brokenness in God. He is holy. And that holiness can consume in judgment, like fire, over his enemies. And that holiness can consume in purification for his people. And so in this bush on fire, but not consumed, we see these things. God is with Moses and will be with his people. God has arrived on the scene in our study of Exodus. Secondly, God is holy and will not let anything stand in his way of fulfilling his purposes. Thirdly, we see that God will destroy His enemies and restore His people. On display in this chapter is the presence of God with His people. And on display in this chapter, as we consider next, verses 7-10, through 10, is His purpose. God is on display in His purpose. The theme of our series through Exodus is Delivered to Dwell. And those words were specifically picked because here we find in these verses God directly stating what He is going to do. We see God speaking, and first He reiterates what we considered last week, that God sees, God hears, God knows. And then in verse 8, we hear from God about what he came to do. So the bush is representing his presence. What did he come to do? And now he displays or declares his purpose. And that is to deliver them up out of Egypt and to bring them to a land to dwell. Consider again verse 8. I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. God came down. He's here. His presence is here in order to bring them up, one out of Egypt where they were enslaved, and up into the land that he has promised. That's God's purpose, declared and stated. He came to deliver so that his people could dwell. We also see that he has come down to Moses specifically and has called Moses to be the means by which he will lead his people out of Egypt. Look at verse 10. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So, in this bush on fire, but not consumed, we see God enter into the scene in order to deliver his people so that they could dwell in the land promised. And we also see that God in this very unique miracle displaying His presence among His people has also shown a very unique authority. I mean, the laws of nature have to bow before God and so will Moses. He has a unique authority over everything and so calls Moses to go and to lead the people. Now, as you might Anticipate, and as sure as you read or may be familiar with this story, you know that there's some apprehension on the part of Moses. And that leads us to our third point from our study in this chapter, is that God is central to this chapter, and he is on display. And on display is his presence, and on display is his purpose, and on display, once again, is his promise. God is on display in his promise. I am will be with you. Moses expresses his apprehension and each time God doubles down, doubles down on his promise by attaching the fulfillment of that very promise to his very character and nature, to himself. God is, in a way, putting all the chips, if you will, onto himself. He is saying, I will do this, and I will be with you. Two ways that he doubled, doubles down on this promise first is a sign. Look at verse 12. But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. First, before we consider the sign, note what God does here. He reiterates yet again to Moses, who's expressing his apprehension That he, God, will be with Moses. I will be with you. What profound and remarkable grace-filled words. And then there's this sign. What is this sign? Well, it's at the end of the verse. It's after you bring these people up out of Egypt you're going to bring them to this mountain and you're going to worship me here. The this of this, this, this sign that, that he will have refers to what comes at the end of the sentence, not what comes before it. And God is saying, I know and see your apprehension, but I'm going to be with you and I'm going to work through you and I'm going to bolster in you faith in me. And when you lead them out of Egypt, you're going to come back to this mountain. And you're going to worship me. God's promise that He will see them through because He will be with them and they will worship Him. Second way that that God communicates this promise is in a name. Sort of right there in the heart, the meat, the middle of this chapter, we get this most remarkable name. So again, Moses brings out his apprehension. Well, well, if I go there, what do I say? Who sent me? What's your name? God gives him the name Yahweh, which conveys just that name itself. Conveys his nature and his commitment to his covenant. What we considered last week that incredibly special promise. His name is conveying his nature, his character, and his commitment. The word Yahweh was treated with great reverence. They don't even transcribe it. We don't actually even know how to pronounce it correctly because they took out all the vowels. It's just Y-H-W-H. And here he says it to Moses in verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. In these days, the name meant quite a bit. It was to contribute or to communicate an attribute about that person. It was reflecting something about that person in the very name. And this word, Yahweh, God's name that he gives to Moses, is derived from one of the most simplest words in all of Old Testament Hebrew. It's the word to be. It's the word for to be. And the meaning of this most simple word, but yet incredibly profound, is this. This is what God is communicating, using the most simplest word to communicate the most complex, profound nature and character of himself. And using the word for to be, God is showing or saying, he is self-existent. No one made God. God was. By using this word to be, God is saying, I, I've always been. Nothing made me. I was. Secondly, we see that God is unchanging. He doesn't change. He is not becoming something. He's not getting better. He is who he is. So we see that God is by the use of this word to communicate his name. So God was and God is. God is self existent and God is unchanging. And then thirdly, God is communicating his character and his nature, who he is, and that he is eternal. That there's no expiration date on God, he's not diminishing. There's no death waiting for God. God will always be. By using this word, we, this simple word, we get a profound grasp of the very nature of God. And God is saying to Moses, I will be with you because I am who I am. And then he draws home even more. In verse 15. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. You can count on me. To hold this covenant and see it all the way through. Because that's who I am. So the foundation of. For Moses to go. Isn't any experience that he has, any gifts or skills that he possesses. But it is because I am who I am will be with him. So it is for us. So it is for now. So it is for our day. And that takes us then to see just what will be with Moses. So not only is God on display in his presence and in his purpose and in his promise, but also God says he will be on display in his power. In verses 19 through 22, we see God sort of reiterate his commission for Moses. He basically lays it out to him. This is what's going to happen. God makes clear what to expect. Expect conflict, but also profound and radical Victory. God's power will be on display in the striking down of the entire Egyptian cultist and system, even to the point where God's people will plunder the Egyptians as they leave. Exodus. says this. So you shall plunder the Egyptians. God is about to give a leave no doubt, run it up kind of victory to the Hebrews over the most powerful nation on earth at the time From a human perspective, it seems painfully stacked against Moses. But from God's perspective, it is definitely stacked against the Egyptians. Imagine a middle school dodgeball, if you will. On one side are a bunch of eighth graders, all jocks and athletes. They've grown, they're, they're older, they're bigger. And then on the other side, is a whole bunch of incoming sixth graders who have no idea what is about to happen to them, except one of them is a weirdly-dressed Rob Gronkowski. I use him because, of all the people, he would most likely be the one who would be doing this. God's power would be on profound display in the striking down and plundering of Egypt. God sees, God hears, God knows, God comes down. His presence is here, His purpose to fulfill, His promise to back it, and the power to do it. And all of this on display for his people. What does this mean for God's people? I said earlier, this Exodus, what is on display here is profoundly relevant even to our day now, right now, in our painful, broken day. This is relevant now. God hasn't changed. He's still the same God that was visibly manifesting himself to Moses in this bush, who was with Moses and the people of God leading them up out of horrific conditions into a land that he had promised long ago. And the same God faithful all the way through the corridors of time and history, even when circumstances seem so overwhelming to the people of God. It's relevant to us now, and I want to encourage you with these three ways in which the truths of what we see in this chapter are relevant to our lives right now. What does this mean for God's people now? Well, first of all, it means we can have a present-day hope in what would otherwise be hopeless situations and circumstances. There has been so much that has happened in the seven years that is 2020. In these few months, I I feel like an entire decade of life has been crammed into these days. And we have seen overwhelming things that have been unsettling and awful and, and, and almost debilitating to an entire nation. We have seen that nation experience great divide. brokenness, and hurt. What does it mean that God promises His presence and His power with His people to fulfill His purposes? It means even in light of those things, even in the midst of these situations and circumstances of our day right now, we can have hope because I am will be with us. Your hope is not misplaced. When your hope is in, I am. Secondly, it means that you and I, when we look at this story, it means that you and I can have a weak and wobbly faith in the God who promises His presence and power with His people for His purposes. We can have a weak and wobbly faith in a God who is powerful. And we will know that we will not be let down because nothing can thwart God's purposes. Nothing can change God's promises. Nothing can stop God from what he sets to do and accomplish. And we know that God will be with us to the very end of the age and that we also know God will never change. So even when we feel weak, And even when our faith is wobbly, even when we have apprehensions that anything around us can ever change, provided that faith is in this God who is over it all and at work in it all, bringing about his good purposes, our faith won't fail because our object of our faith will never fail. So you don't have to beat yourself up with a weak and wobbly faith. Rather, in the weakness and the wobbliness of your faith, feed on God's word. See in it the one who sees and hears and knows and moves and accomplishes his awesome purposes. And then thirdly, it means we can have courage to live out our lives God, even in the face of opposition, ridicule, rejection, even from our family, friends, and peers. We can have present day hope. We can have a weak and wobbly faith. And we have courage because we have, I am who I am. But there's more. How can we have those things in our lives right now? We can have them because Jesus. I am going to come back to this well again and again, and I'm going to draw up buckets and buckets and buckets of Jesus so that we see here in the pages of Exodus how God would ultimately do what he has promised to do. Jesus is the theophany that ends all theophanies. He is the visible manifestation of God in bodily form. He is the full and final forever displaying of God to his people. He is what all the Old Testament visible manifestations God are leading up to. He's the guy. He's the one. And We have him. And not only that, but Jesus himself, Jesus knew, of course. Jesus even says, he is the I am. John chapter 8, verses 58 through 59. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am so they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Jesus is saying to these religious leaders, I am who I am is right here. I am the I am. And they knew that he was saying that he is God in the flesh and they wanted to kill him because they didn't believe. But Jesus is the I am. And we have him. God is Provided this to us. And then we know because of that, Jesus is the ultimate display of God's promise of his presence and power with his people for his good and redemptive purposes. Our only means of deliverance from sin to dwell with God is through Jesus Christ. Jesus came down in order to bring us up, giving us then, therefore, our means of a present-day hope, strength in the midst of a weak and wobbly faith, and real courage to live out that faith in a hard and harsh world. The world we live in right now needs I am who I am. The world needs Jesus. That's a true statement. They need to see in and through our lives what Jesus means. And what we find is Jesus is the fulfillment of Exodus. Jesus is the means of Romans. Jesus is the presence of God with us. Jesus is the purpose of God completed. Jesus is the promise of God fulfilled. Jesus is the power of God displayed. Jesus is the deliverer, the rescuer, the redeemer of God's people. And Jesus is, I am, who I am, and he is with us. May we cling to God through faith in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And may we know his presence and power with us, his people, for his Purposes, And may our lives be windows into the grace and glory and goodness and greatness of our God. And may that bring healing and restoration to a broken people. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would do this to your glory and to our good we ask it in Jesus name. Amen. Before you move on into responding in song and praise, just want to make a quick announcement and in the coming weeks we will make quick announcements on the heels of the message. As you know, you've seen that we are planning and targeting Sunday, June 21st be a day in which we start to regather in person for corporate worship. Please stay tuned to our webpage, trinitynh.org where you'll get our updates. And we will be communicating with you in a variety of ways what the plan and processes will look like as we get closer and closer to June 21st. So please be mindful of these things. Check regularly. And we will try our very, very best to communicate clearly how to go about um, gathering back up again on Sunday, June 21st. We can't wait. It will be great. We will continue to live stream, and our hope is to be able to live stream the full service at 1030. So again, more will come in the coming days. Please pay attention, and, uh, and if you need anything, please reach out to us, and we'll do our best to help you out. Again, Trinity family, be safe, be well, and we'll see you in the week ahead.